mi gente. Welcome to Hello Latino. It's your girl, Dalis Jasmine, and today's guest is Evelyn Perez Albino. Evelyn is a proud Afro-Latina and first-gen everything, the todo. You'll hear so much about that in this episode. Evelyn drops hella gems, hella knowledge, hella stories. It's so much that I just feel like y'all are going to relate to. On another note, Evelyn is an associate general counsel at Facebook and a leader in that space and founder of AI Elevates, where she provides support and mentorship to young professionals of color navigating corporate spaces. Pretty sure at some point in this episode, we cried, we teared up, we shared some really deep things. So I hope y'all enjoy this beautiful episode. Let's get into it. Oh, girl, well, it's, it's recording. It's showtime. <laughs> Okay, let's do it. <laughs> and I am so excited to have you. Are you on vacation officially? I am back from vacation. So I went um, oh. last week and now I, ca- I came back, but we're off. We're off this week, this Friday and Monday. So I worked one day. It was hell. And now I'm back to a four-day stretch before Tuesday. So I'm feeling good. Still. Hey, <laughs> so I got you on vacay time. Yes, for sure. And you got me in a glow, so it's good. <laughs> yeah, y'all can't see her eyebrows, but they're popping. We were just talking about it before this. <laughs> she has a whole look, a whole vibe right now. But so excited that you're here. So excited that Udivia connected us. Girl, I got so many questions for you. We're going to go deep. We're going to go into your story. I'm so excited. I'm I want to start hyped. with the first question, and that's how okay. do you identify and why? So I identify as a first-generation Afro-Latina and Dominican. Um, I think, actually, it's a loaded question because I didn't identify as Afro-Latina until maybe 14, 15 years ago when I went to law school. Um, It was, I was, you know, I grew up in New York in Washington Heights, which is, you know, little DR. And we were all just Dominican. We all came in all, you know, shapes and colors and everything. We, We were Dominican. And so I got used to being in like, you know, other institutions, higher ed, all this stuff, and just being Latina. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got to law school and I walked in, I remember I walked into this little room where basically all of the minority students congregated and like formed community and like supported each other. It was called like the Minority Law Student Association or something like that. Um. And it was the umbrella org for all of the affinity orgs, so the Black Law Student Association, the Latino Law Student Association. And I walked in there and there was another Latina. She was sitting on the couch. She looked up, to, looked up at me and said, finally, una morenita. And I didn't, I didn't like get it. I was like, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah. And initially it kind of felt, it kind of felt worse because I was like, so I'm, I'm not part of, I'm, I'm not Latina. I'm not part of the the whole group. Um, and so it took some doing for me to like appreciate that and understand like what it meant and what I represented walking into spaces, identifying that way, what I meant to other people. When I started seeing others, very few um, that did that for me, it started to have, it started to have meaning. And as I progress, I think through my career and like I'm involved in diversity efforts and all of these things, I start to see the reason why, why it's necessary. Because if I'm in a space that is for, by and for Latinos, right? Or Latinx, all of this. And I don't see another brown face. 
I feel away. I'm like, but is it? Because there's a whole demographic that I don't, I don't see here. And that's, yeah. I think that's a level of like uh, cognition that I just didn't, I didn't have um, before law school, before that comment, really. Was law school outside of, of New York? Like, did you just not see a lot of Dominicans or Afro-Latinos in law school? No, I did everything in New York. I'm, I'm New Yorker through and through. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, to the core. I love um, it. I was born in DR, but I, everything that I've done in, in New York. So I went to um, Cardozo here in the city in Manhattan. And it well, it's primarily um, a Jewish school. It's part of yeshiva, and so it's it's meant to really re- be welcoming and a part of that community. But they do have people of, from all cultures and all walks of life there. And so, did I see a lot of Latinos and Dominicans? Not necessarily, but I also didn't see them in college or in in high school, right? So it wasn't necessarily new to me. Um, it was just it was just that comment. I think. She was in a different space. She was yeah. well aware of her identity. She had, you know, navigated that. And it felt comfortable for her to, like, say that. And she, I think she felt like she was giving me power. And she was happy that someone else could, like, be there, represent that, and show that. And it took me a minute to get on her level, right? To, like, yeah. understand what she meant. Um, but it, it changed the way that I, like, showed up in those spaces, for sure. Mm. Oh. I love it. And I want to go deep into that story. And I want to first start with your, you were born in DR. Do you remember your immigration mm. story here? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I started with my mama. Um, <laughs> so my, my mom is one of 10 and she's from Barahona in, in, in DR and they moved to the capital. And when she and her brothers and sisters were like, I guess, late 20s, early 30s. A number of them came to the States looking for a better life to be able to provide for those that stayed back home. The typical immigrant story. Um, so my mom came here, created a life for herself, and then ended up going back to DR to have me. She kind of, uh, she didn't feel like comfortable with the prenatal care she was getting here. And like at eight months pregnant, jumped on a plane and just went <laughs> and mm. handled it um, and did all of that over there. She had family. It was she felt more comfortable and like the language wasn't a barrier. So she has me over there. I'm back here within two months. And so wow. I was a permanent resident. My mom was a permanent resident for until I was 30 years old. Mind you, I did everything here. I became a lawyer. I was telling others about the Constitution and studying it. Right. And, you know, in my practice and moving in these spaces, and I was still, like, checking in and, like, checking my card. And I had my green card to travel. And whenever I did, like, um, study abroad programs, like, my process was always harder than anybody else's. I had to, like, go to different embassies to get my visa situation squared away. It was a whole thing, but it was, it was what I knew. Um, yeah. And it didn't, it didn't feel weird because my entire family was kind of in that same boat. Yeah, that was your normal. And so I did not become, yeah, that was totally my normal. I did not become a citizen until I was 30. It was August 2006, 2016. 
And when I tell you, I didn't anticipate it would be as emotional a journey as it was. I remember being asked to hand in my green card and the tears that I wept, mm. like just by myself <laughs> on this line with this lady, just like, all right, can I get your paperwork so I can give you this and we're good to go. I took a picture of it. I like stepped aside to the line when I realized like what was happening. Like a part of me didn't realize they were just going to take this from me because it didn't mean anything anymore. Um, And I had just put so much stock onto this little card. Mm -hmm. Um, It like gave me permission to move in these spaces. It meant that I could be here, but it also like there were a number of programs that I had applied to that I remember not qualifying for certain grants or scholarships because I wasn't a citizen. And I was like, what you mean? Like, but we, aren't y'all for brown folk? Like, aren't y'all supposed to be helping all of us? Girl, yeah. <laughs> and so I remember, I remember that moment vividly. And I think it caught me off guard. And I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm 30. I'm doing, you know? And yeah. it was a moment where like, I wanted, I wanted my mommy by my side. It was really weird. <laughs> oh, it was like your inner child was like, no. <laughs> yes. Yes, because it's like the whole, I just, I remember in the here in New York, you go to like one federal plaza. Oh, that's what it was anyway. I don't remember if that's, if that's still the case. And it was like a thing. It was a day that I didn't go to school. And my mom and I took mm. the train all the way downtown. My mom was nervous. You know, I was translating like after a certain age, I was the one that was doing that because she didn't speak the language. And it was like a whole experience. You had to like do a line around the buildings, like go and like recertify or like if it had expired or whatever to renew it. Um, and I just remember growing up with like a handful of those, like what I thought were field trips. And I can imagine how like emotionally charged those things were like for my mom, those events. Yeah. And to me, it was just like, oh, we're downtown. Today we get to go to Canal Street. Today we get to eat a hot dog. Like, it was just, right. <laughs> it was my upbringing. I didn't understand sort of the the basis for, you know, what that meant for her. Oh, that's so wild. And, you know, like, you reminded me a lot of a recent conversation I had with my nephew. My nephew's undocumented. And he, like, my brother ca- gave me a call. He's my oldest brother. He's one of those brothers that doesn't hit you up often. You know what I mean? Like. So, you know, yeah. you have to answer when he calls you. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So I answer and I'm like, Yonda, you know, and he's like, um, I need your help. He's like, Angel, which is my nephew's name. He's like, Angel is trying to get to school. He's trying to apply. But like, he mm. didn't have his social security. Like, he didn't know how to do any of it. And he's just getting like, you know, you just get frustrated. And mm-hmm. as someone who did it as first gen, right? Someone trying to apply for school. I... I remember how stressful it was for me. I can't imagine that other layer of it and being just like not a citizen of this of this country and feeling like, well, then I give up. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, for I just sure. need you to talk to him. You know, my brother doesn't know any English. He's like, I don't understand what is going on in front of me. Like, I don't understand these documents. Like, you're just going to have to talk Yo. to him. And so I had a whole conversation with him and literally just like, Got so emotional, but so much gratitude too that I'm in a place now where I can pay that forward to my family. You know what I mean? And like talking to him and hearing him out of just like his frustrations, his stress. He's like, my parents don't know I feel alone. Like, and I'm like, your Thea's right here. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got you. I got you. (laughs) I got you. And all you want to do is be able to like wave a wand and fix it all, right? (sighs) Just like be able to. I hear you. I hear you. Quisiera. I would love to just like. And I hate how hard the process is. And that's what I'm feeling for Mm -hmm. you. Like, 
and we don't get it right like he never understood what it meant to not be a citizen and he's now feeling like oh this is what it means like i don't get the same opportunities it's 10 times harder for me mm-hmm. and i mean i wish like latia can just you know like you said wave the magic wand do all the documents for him and it just reminded me of that conversation because i think i had someone on my podcast who identified as undocumented she's like i don't even identify as mexican i identify as mm-hmm. undocumented because that's my experience here you know and so i just think like thank you for sharing that piece of like the story because i think it's a really important one for our community people outside of our community to understand how how hard it is already for black and brown people and then adding that whole other layer to it it's just it feels impossible or it feels like when can i for just sure. be for sure. Where can I just be? Like, I just want to do. I want to do. I have right. this intention. I have a drive. I have ambition. Let me go out there and, like, conquer the world. And it's like, ah, oh, no. There's a mountain of paperwork and lines and federal buildings and all this stuff that you need to go through um, to get to that. And, you know, there's, there's privilege in even being able to do all of that, right? Like, there's, right. there's to your point, there's so many folks that, like, can't even get to that step. Like, they can't even start to fill out paperwork just yet. Um, yeah. And it is, it's incredibly humbling, I think, to be in a position where I try to tell my story because I do think, even if you couldn't wave the magic wand, I do think what you're doing here and creating space for all of us to like talk about what it felt like to go through all of this and still achieve some measure of success, still sort of overcome those challenges and get to where we were working towards, that speaks volume. And a lot a lot of what it takes to build that resilience and to continue to power through it, as exhausting as it is, is to be able to see other people do it. Um, that is, that's like, that's the hardest fucking piece, honestly. Like you can tell yourself, it's doable. And if you don't see anyone there, there's a there's a little piece of you that will never believe it. Mm. Um, so you might you might not be able to fix his situation with a magic wand, but I guarantee you that like you're sending good vibes out to the entire world for just telling our stories for sure. Girl, our stories are powerful and we need more spaces for us to tell our stories. You know what I mean? I feel like mm-hmm. And we'll get into this in your story, but I think so many mm. times that we're we're kind of like in these spaces and we don't see people who look like us who come from the same places or hoods as us. And we're just like, can I be myself? Should I talk more mm-hmm. white Americana? Should I should I act a different way? Because um, corporate hood isn't a thing, you know what I mean? And so like, how how do you navigate this space and still be yourself and still embrace this other side of you because it's growth and like, it's it's a it's a weird balance of it all. So I think we need more stories where more people, more spaces where we can just come in like you're doing, tell your story in the most you possible way. You know what I mean? For sure. Not corporate side, not your lawyer side, but just like this is you. For this sure. is Evelyn right here. That you're getting the the full picture. For sure. Have a space to sort of show up as yourself and bring ever like it's yes, it's a growing opportunity. You're growing into Everything that is to come, you're learning to talk to different folks, navigate new spaces, and all of that encompasses growth. But you have you have to do that with some measure of where you're coming, of where. Like mm-hmm. I, I was interviewed for this magazine, and 
I said something that I didn't even realize was bad insightful. And when I read it back, I was like, holy shit, that was like a gem. Uh, it was <laughs> legit. Like, and I felt it in my heart. It was like, I don't care what floor of a sky rise my office sits in. I'm still that girl on the stoop of my building. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I'm still, ooh, ooh, that's still great me. I'm moving chills. in these spaces. <laughs> I'm moving in these spaces, but that's still me. And honestly, it feels like, it feels like in doing that, it's a revolution, not just for myself, but for others. Like, if I'm reviewing a situation that can, that is nuanced, that involves mm. our folks, that involves, you know, marginalized communities, I, I like to think that I bring all that with me and I hope that it can be a better experience, not necessarily outcome, because sometimes my hands are tied too. Um, yeah. But at least a better experience for for whoever else is involved. Like I had, um, and this was actually the most emotional. It's kind of a tangent. We can go back to the thing. If, if no, no, no. To, go on your tangent, girl. <laughs> I had. It's like the most the most emotional experience of my career. Um, I was in a prior role where we had. Um, a uh, intern program with a number of um, college kids here on visas with work authorizations, limited work authorizations. Um, there was this kid who was amazing in his job, was went above and beyond. Like he did, he, he ingratiated himself with the team and made himself indispensable, right? And we had his leader was trying to keep him after the internship program ended. And I didn't understand what that meant. So at first I was just like, yeah, but his rent authorization, like he's not, he can't be here anymore. We can't keep him. Um, and I met him. He like reached out to me together with his boss. They came and sat in my office and they like talked me through, you know, he couldn't afford to go to school if he didn't have a job. And he couldn't keep his job because his work authorization was only for a year. And he had last that time. And it was, you know, it took me three weeks and I explored every, every rock. I talked to every, like, outside council to figure out, like, what we could do for this amazing kid. Um... And my hands were tied. I couldn't, I couldn't do for him without compromising my organization and my own, you know, integrity and ethics as an attorney. Um, and when I tell you the tears that I wept in my office, letting him like leave and not being able to like, fix that for him because I knew what it meant. I knew what it meant for him to have to call his parents and tell him he was going to have to go home. And he couldn't stay in the situation he was in here. It just, it hit me in the way that I don't think it would have hit any other lawyer on my team. And it took a while for me to like even mention it to my leaders. And I remember a conversation where, you know, I shared the whole thing with my GC and he was like, that's what makes you a better lawyer. You care. And you care because like I've, I've lived it. I understood his story in a way that even other folks who were trying to help him might not have. Um, I, you know, afterward, on his last day, he like sends me a, um, he sends me a ping and a note, like, like this long paragraph thanking me for like having taken the time to talk to him. 
and counsel him and like mentor him and like that he talked to his parents about me and like it, it felt validating and humbling but hopeless all at the same time um but i'd like to think that wherever he is now that like, i gave him my contact information all this stuff like he can reach out and he feels like at the very least he's incentivized to carve a path forward um because he can hopefully know that there are folks that know his story and for whom his plight resonates with throughout he will find them on his journey oh, oh man when i tell you shit fuck me up <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh I don't blame you, girl. I don't blame you. And honestly, to validate you even more, what I just feel like the fact that you held that space for him and tried and exhausted every option, how many how many people can hold space for someone and really see them? You know what I mean? There's one thing to understand the story, like I get it, but like you saw him and you I just, I want to leave it there because just to feel seen is to feel mm. validated. Do you know what I mean? And for sure. you did that for him. And like, I think sometimes <laughs> it sounds like you probably get caught up in this too, because I do, but you almost want to help the whole world. It's like, you want to help everyone. No. You want to, <laughs> <laughs> and you almost, you just want to give them everything. You're like, oh, I don't want this to be yeah. hard for you. And it's one of those things. Cause like you go through so much and it was hard for you that you just don't want to see that for anyone else. Yeah. And like, when they tell you your story, you're like, like you said, you exhausted every option. You looked under every rock. You were trying to like, you were trying to do anything you could for him. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of you can't help the, you can't help everybody. Like you just can't like, that's a really, it's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> for sure. And there, on some measure, it's just understanding that you can't help everybody, but you also can't try because it might break you in the process. Like, girl, mm. it, it, it's, I, I think of myself as, you know, an empath. I like, I have feelings. Uh, I have too many goddamn emotions, right? But, and I try to girl, help me. Everybody else's <laughs> problem is my problem. It's a whole thing. Um, but there comes a point where you need to sort of empower yourself to thrive so that you can do that for others, um, which can't take on their plight because you may or may not be able to fix it, but you might, you take on too much. You won't be able to move forward yourself. And then what you do, you're helping less people, right? You can't. It's oh, Evelyn, when I That's tell you therapy has helped me a lot because <laughs> Like, yes. and this goes back to the cultural things. And I'd love to know a little bit, like, if you went through this experience too. But I think just being a Latina in my household meant to help everyone, to, like, bend over backwards, to exhaust yourself, to, like... Oh, you sound like you're in my therapy sessions now. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's so, talk girl, about... <laughs> let's, girl, I remember... So the first time I did therapy, I was in college. And my parents were like, ¿Por qué tú estás haciendo therapy? Like, vaya a la iglesia... Ponte a orar, like, habla con mm-hmm. Dios. Like, that was their their response, which I did a little bit of that too. But I remember going to therapy in college and I had a, and this is no shade to white therapists, but I had a white therapist who basically told me like, you know, you can, you can put boundaries with your parents and you don't have to do everything for them. And I was like, 
That's not how you this works. Get, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. I was like boundaries, con mis papás, con mis viejos. Like I can't, yeah, like I can't no. do that. Um, and I'm okay with that. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. it's just like, I could put emotional boundaries, but I'm not going to be like, oh, papi, no puedo la contigo. Yeah, no. like, you know that's what I mean? Never, that's never going to be the move. I'd be like, it's it's so the Even like when you talk to, you know, you move in these spaces, you make friends from all, all kinds of cultures. You watch how they interact with their families, their parents, with, you know, mentors, coaches, therapists. And they're like, you know, but do you really have to do X, Y, Z for, for so-and-so? Did you need to be there for this? I'm like, yes, that's what it makes you to be family. And honestly, that's what, como te digo, I've been an advocate from an early age. I was the only one in my family that spoke the language. I enjoy and feel like I can thrive when I give voice to others, right? And I've tried to carve a lane for that in everything that I do, but part of Part of what comes with like achieving any measure of success, however you define that, for me at least, is some measure of responsibility. Oh. Right? Mm -hmm. And some measure of like, this was my drive. I did it for them. I did it so that I can do more for them now. Right? Like, so many, like, we're all thinking about generational wealth and creating this and the legacy. All of that is amazing. But I think what makes, you know, a first-gen story unique, an immigrant story unique, is that, like, we're not just thinking about the future. We're constantly thinking about, like, those that came before us, those that are still here and had to struggle that we watched struggle to help us get to where we are. And part of why you do it is so that they can say that they got you there. So they can look at you and be like, coño, valió la pena. So you can say, you know, mommy needs X, I'm doing it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's part, that's part of what gives everything I've done and what I hope to be able to do in the future meaning, right? I'm creating for my son, but I'm also recreating for my mom. Like she needs to see. Don't make me. I'm like, they put two emotional people together. <laughs> I'm not expecting this so <laughs> This show is brought to you by McDonald's. If y'all know me, you know I love me some potatoes in all forms, but especially fries. And you also know I love being a tia more than anything else in this world. So when I think of McDonald's fries, I can't help but think of my nephews, Ezekiel, Gio, Emilio, and Elias. Because they love McDonald's. And McDonald's has actually been at the core of our most cherished and common bonding moments. After their soccer practice, they'd come over, sweaty and hangry. We'd get them packed up in the car, go to McDonald's drive through and order four kids meals. They'd compare toys and all I'd hear in the back is, oh man, you got the one I wanted. And they would, of course, start eating in the car because they can never wait till we get home. But the best part, in my opinion, is taking their fries and they're not looking because y'all know it's impossible to resist papitas, even when they're not yours. Whether I'm taking my nephews to McDonald's or I'm enjoying a breakfast platter with my viejos after an early church service, can't deny that it's been part of the familia. As my nephews would say, McDonald's, I'm loving it. <laughs> 
Girl, oh, I was I was expecting. I was like, if I don't yeah. cry or laugh hysterically <laughs> on my episode, was it even a good one? <laughs> but no, this this is so real. And you know what? I was just just yesterday, I was almost like unpacking my story with with my boyfriend who knew a little bit about what I've been through, but just to really paint the picture for him of like, yo, I was really living in my car with my siblings and my parents, I saw them cry for the first time and like it was a super hard, like, it was even hard for me to talk about it. And you think you heal from things like that. But I mm. told him, I'm like, the reason I'm doing everything I'm doing right now, the reason I'm so, you can call me hella ambitious, like, hella extra with her work, like, always wanting more, like, all of that stems because we had nothing. And I'm trying to give my parents everything and more so that they can say the same thing. Like, every single sacrifice, every single painful memory every single document they have to do because they need to just work here like everything that they have done for us for all seven of us I'm the youngest of seven I want that I want that to be worth it you know what I mean I don't want to see them struggle and again I've had people along my journey when I tell them and I don't really tell a lot of people I take care of my parents financially because they act a certain way about it like well you don't have to do that you know what I mean I'm Mm -hmm. like you don't have to do I that. To, I, want, I, I want to do, do that. it for myself. I used to do it for myself. I used to keep it to myself and I don't anymore. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. anymore because I feel like to know, to know me, if you're going to know me and how I show up in the space and why certain things matter to me, you need to know everything I'm doing. You need to know, you need to know that I'm stretching the dollar across multiple households, across continents, across countries. Like you need, you need to know, like, don't, don't think you know my money. <laughs> Let me explain to you why I negotiate salary. Let me explain to you like where I'm Mm. going for. I'm not going for the lateral job. I'm going for the next rung up. Like, let me tell you about all of that because that money can do things. Every extra dollar can do more. Not just for my household, but for that of others. Um, I I remember hearing, (laughs) go for it, go for it. You're on a roll. (laughs) No, I'm just gonna say like, it's just part of like what, what drives me and why I created like, why I do the like the lawyer work, legal work that I do, why I do the career strategy work that I do. Um, at the end of the day, like I really, I just need people to see that there is a lot more that I'm mm-hmm. like that I stand for. And it's funny, I actually had I was this is another tangent. I <laughs> was as a one L, uh, which is the first year of law school. Usually you have to like do whatever internship that summer and you don't get to be at a summer associateship and like a law firm. So you're a second summer. I participated in what was an amazing program. And if anybody who's pre-law um, or in currently in one out in law school is listening to this, they should see if it's still in the mix. It was through the New York City Bar Association. So you have to be in New York. Um, but it was a diversity fellowship. And what they did was they, they you know, found brown kids, it's a competitive process, and they put brown, you know, 1L law students in this typically 2L uh, summer associateship program. So I was the only kid, I was like, I was not only the, the only Latina, the only, the only first gen, um, the only one that was like first in my family to graduate from college. Like they all had like judges as parents, as grandparents, they were going off to the Hamptons for the week. It was like a whole thing. It was a culture shock for sure. And we were a tiny little cohort. Um, and I was just like hopping on the one train to go <laughs> uptown, right? Like it was very, it was a very different existence. 
But in that environment, I learned so much. And we all have um, like office mates. Remember this girl? We were in this process of like a legal writing assignment we had been given. And, you know, I was used to doing all this stuff on my own. I didn't have like, I can't go to my mom and ask her to read my essay and like mark it up and check the grammar and do whatever. I did all that myself. And I remember she was like working on it and like her, she's telling me that her dad and her brother had reviewed it the night before and like gave her tips on how to do this and how to position this argument and state whatever. And I was just sitting there, I was like, damn, like, I, I don't, I don't like that. that. Um, and to her credit, she said something very powerful to me. She said, you know, you're moving in these spaces and you're showing up here. Don't ever, don't ever think you don't belong because your story is bigger. She's like, I'm here. I showed up. It wasn't that hard. She's like, but your mm-hmm. story is so much bigger, bigger than you. Wow. And like, at that, you know, I was, I was still a kid. I kind of, you know, I didn't, it felt powerful in the moment, but I didn't internalize it. And now I think back on like what, sh- what that meant and that fuels me in a lot of ways. And I try, I try to be the Evelyn that I am on the stoop. I try to be her when I'm in these spaces because I need other people that are doubting their own walks in those spaces, their own moves in those spaces that may look and sound like me or have a similar story to me or come from humble beginnings or whatever. To know that like you can do all that, still be all that and still do this successfully or try. It's that part. And I'm just like, of course, she's a lawyer. She's so good with her words. Like I'm listening to you and I'm like, (laughs) yes. But you know what? It's, It's so what's so dope about you sharing this is that we need more people like you to show up as that as that girl on the stoop. You know what I mean? Like we need more people to show up as their authentic selves. And I'll tell you this quick story before I ask you a million more questions. (laughs) But I remember being in school goes to college, right? First gen story. And I'm like, I didn't know I was in the heart of Silicon Valley. I had no idea what Silicon Valley meant. I thought it was just the city Mm. name. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. I realized, oh, Google's down the street. Like, what? Um, And then I remember, like, we kept having these guest speakers come into the classroom. They all looked the same. They all worked at these tech companies. And I felt like they all had their shit together. And I'm like, when am I going to have my shit together? Like, when am I going to have like people mentoring me and helping me into the space? But like, you see that you see these differences and you feel like, can I be successful too? Like that I kept asking myself that, like, how can I get there? And for me, it felt like I had to change everything about me. Like, I can't be that girl from Southeast San Diego. I have to be a girl that's now in college and I have to be successful because my mind is that's how you get there. I remember one this one woman came in. I will never forget her. She she was actually my boss for a while, but she was sitting down on this Ottoman Japanese woman dropping f bombs, being like she was talking yeah. different. She was like <laughs> she was like took, she had her shoes off on Ottoman crisscross applesauce. Like she was just like mm-hmm. she was vibing and she was talking to the students like you know what like it's not easy. She was talking about her struggles, her losses, her wins like. And I remember listening to her and listening to her story. And I'm just like, finally, there's someone who just feels real. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember talking to her after and I'm like, thank you for just like showing up as yourself because I haven't seen that 
in my few years here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I would always say like, one day I want to work with Renee. One day I want to work with Renee. And I actually worked with her for like two and a half years. And she really, I think, was a pivotal person in my life and told me like, if you want to make it, you don't want to fake it because then you get there and you're like, who who the hell am I? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, that to me was everything. And I continue to move into these spaces and I do drop my, my Spanglish. I do drop, like, I wear my hoops and my red lipstick as much as I can. I talk about being Latina, about being first gen. I'm like, I have so much pride in my story now that didn't exist before. And that's the reason I created platforms like this so that you and I, people, Latinos, like we can talk about our stories of pride because we're taught to like not share it, don't be vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we we were taught to just like be successful and keep that to ourselves. But it's so powerful when you exude your whole story because people understand you and people people can look at you and say, well, if Evelyn made it, I can too. You know yeah. what I mean? That's what, that's what I hope for. I mean, I, I won't, pretend like it came easy it was definitely a progression right like there yeah I was a baby lawyer in law firms that you know I, every day I moved in these spaces where I was like too dark too thin too loud too thick too loud and my hair is too big <laughs> my lap is too strong like there was I just felt like I was too much in these spaces and I would try to mute myself right however I and I you know I did so under the guise like not knowingly necessarily it was under the guise of like trying to appear more quote-unquote professional what that meant and oh, blend yeah. into the spaces sure. you know blowing out my hair only wearing studs which I actually do love and I love a good blowout but it was the feeling of having to do it right it was the feeling mm-hmm. of like yo it's Sunday night and I don't feel like you know spending eight hours at a Dominican hair salon on the height just to be able to go to work on Monday. Um, and there were, there were plenty of moments where, like I, rem- I remember, she went up to work, hair blown out, she's dressed, little uh, stud, looking all Banana Republic Dow, right? And <laughs> watching folks that didn't look like me, you know, amazing colleague who were Caucasian or Asian, show up to, uh, to the office in who in red lipstick with spaghetti strap dresses, walking into meetings without their blazer on, with flyaways, you know, mm-hmm. sideways ponytail, flyaways, two pigtails. I was like, I can't do none of that and still be taken seriously. And I knew oh. that to my core. And in those spaces, I believe that to be true because that's how, that's how I felt when I was moving there. Could I have tried? Sure. Did I feel comfortable even making the attempt? No. And so it took, you know, it wasn't, I I wouldn't say it was a comfortable growth period for me because not only did I have to figure out how to move in those spaces and find enough, like carve out a little lane for myself. Like I was, you know, no matter how far back you go, I was always dropping F-bombs at work. That's how I I show up. Um, But I I had to find a, a little way of like being myself in those spaces and they had to figure out how they were going to deal with me because you know it, it it was it was a it was an engagement on both sides it was a two-way um conversation if you will we both needed to figure each other out um there came a point where i was like i could wait for this to feel right 
or I could be deliberate about seeking and cultivating an environment where I feel like I can thrive. And that's when I got really, you know, intentional about my career, where I was like, I I can't hate coming to work every day. I can't, you know, hate who I show up at at work every day. Um, Or not hate, but just like, on some level, if you don't feel like you're showing up like as yourself, it breeds doubt, right? Oh, yeah. And lack of confidence. And you're just like, well, what, what am I doing? This feels inauthentic. Um, and so I was, I was very deliberate about what my next moves were going to be. And that's why I do the career strategy work that I do, because I, I made some intentional leaps. You know, now I'm this employment lawyer in tech and I'm at Facebook and how exciting is all of that. But I want to be able to, like, help other folks that might look and sound like me move in these spaces a little easier, a little more intentionally, with a little bit more support. Because we, you know, we, we don't get the memo. It's actually an amazing book. Um, by Minda Hart on <laughs> on that exact message. But like, we don't have, I didn't have another lawyer in my family. I didn't have another even college grad in my immediate family that I could turn to and be like, so how do I fill out these forms? So how do I show up to work every day? How do I talk to my boss? How do I negotiate salary? What the fuck is the 401k? Like, I didn't know what any of that shit was. I was moving in these for the first time. And I was, I could you not, I was, I started off as an employee benefits lawyer. I was editing, updating, and working on a retirement plan for clients. And I was learning that. I was a baby lawyer, but I was learning that and doing that. And I didn't know how to manage my own 401k. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And mm-hmm. I couldn't go to mommy and be like, my mommy, eh, la pensión, que my mom doesn't understand that. Yeah. She doesn't get like the investments and all that stuff. She, you know, my family's way of saving money is un clavito eh, under the mattress, right? In a shoebox somewhere. That's how we, that's how we say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but like figure out how to move in these spaces can be, it can be taxing. To emerge from them unscathed is virtually unheard of, right? And the best mm-hmm. you can do, like I left those spaces, you know, uh, a shell of my former self. And the best that we can do is try to be intentional about being in an environment, in a space where we can be ourselves, where we can thrive and we can show others that it's possible and allow that to feed us, to fill us back up from everything we fucking lost when we were running in those, in those circles. Um, so that's why I do the career strategy stuff that I do now, because if, yeah. I can, if I can make you move faster, if it takes you two years instead of, you know, seven years to get out of something that doesn't feel right, and you can finally feel like realizada con tu carrera now that we know like what that means for us, why we do it, what's driving us, what we're telling our parents about all the moves that we're making and how proud they are of us, how proud fucking staff is when they see us walk into these spaces and like, mm-hmm. like oh, oh, that, like, <laughs> like my closest colleagues were like the copy, the mail room. <laughs> Even at school, like, look at I'm saying. <laughs> right? Oh. And they felt hella proud to see us make these moves. Yeah. And if I, if I can sort of help somebody navigate that faster and more easily, that's all, that's Girl, all I want. Hey, 
so many questions. Um, I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm so like, there's so much that I'm just like, like my soul, my spirit right now feels so happy because you talking about your closest colleagues tend to be the people who are Latinos, right? In the space. And I remember I work at LinkedIn and I remember going in for like my first, like my first week there. And I saw this like lady, a cleaning lady walking by and she just had her head down. I was like, hola, como estas? You know, just saying, hey. And she's like, hola, español. And then we just started mm-hmm. talking. She's from Guatemala. I've literally like learned her whole life story. You know, I'm, so <laughs> and I'm just like, we, we became like homies. And honestly, when I go into the office now, the people that are excited to see me, the people I'm excited to see are the baristas, are the cooks, are the people. I'm like, hola, como esta, amiga? Like, el hijo, el niño, como esta? Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. I think it's it's so powerful. There's a sense of guilt at the same time, yes. which we can unpack For sure. that. <laughs> For sure. But there's also a sense of like, I hope they see me and, and think and feel that they can do it. Their kids can mm-hmm. do it. Like, they're here for a reason and it's possible to see people like mm-hmm. me and you in a space like Facebook, LinkedIn, these lost spaces. Like there's, there's room for us and we're making that room. We're making that space. You know what I'm saying? Glad. And I remember, it's funny when I was a kid, we had, um, I had a pediatrician. I mean, I probably went to a pediatrician. When I was like 24. Um, and I was <laughs> still in high school or like, I th- yeah, like a freshman in high school, maybe. And my mom would go with me to the doctor's appointment and she was young Dominican lawyer, uh, lawyer, doctor in Washington Heights. So serving the community. And the way my mom talked about that woman, when we left there, she's like, tu ves? Profesional. Doctora. Se graduó. Mira que, mira que bien eso. Mira. And like, my mom felt so seen mm-hmm. by having her there. She used all of those examples to like, create that drive in me. And I just, I think about, you know, how my mom interacts with the folks that she's like, oh shit, like you, you, you did this. And I'm like, oh, that, that's, that's what I want to be for others. Oh yeah. Um, to know that there is, in addition to the guilt, there's also a sense of comfort that we oh. need to also push out of, right? Because it's amazing to build that community and to feel that support in those spaces. But you, if you're going to move in them successfully, you also have to be building rapport and community and relationships. Oh, folks are nothing like you. And that shit is hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I, You know what? I'm low-key mad that you pointed that out because now I feel attacked. Love I'm that, like, love that, love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for you. Back. But it's real. That's, you know what's so funny is I have a mentor. She's Latina. And she told me, she's like, girl, my goal for you is to be the white man whisperer. Like, you know, like, I just... <laughs> And I was dead. I was like, I've never heard that before. And she's like, if you want to move in your career, you just have to surround yourself with people who are not like you, who can give you those opportunities, which is so like, it's so, it goes against everything that I like want to do. So it's just so like, uh, I don't know. But I think it's like, if you want to stay in the game and change the game, you have to play the game. You know what I mean? And like, that's the balance that I think like, you know, shout out to the pediatrician that was that was Dominican and was that representation. I think of my my godmom, the the woman who helped my mom get her papers. All my siblings get their papers. She she's a Latina woman, and girl, she would go into her law office with like these nice little dresses. You know, she's a little curvy because we all a little curvy, 
and she like had her hair like she really showed up and showed out and she I remember looking up to her and she was my only real example of someone that wasn't a house cleaner that wasn't like a cook that wasn't like like my the women in my family and my mom would do the same thing she's like sea como Lorena you know like she's she's esto y el otro educada she's a una abogada like that's mm-hmm. gonna be you and I remember mm-hmm. lawyer, like I wanted to be a lawyer because of my gamma. Then I realized, ooh, this is not my space. <laughs> I'm glad you thank yourself. <laughs> I remember interning for my for my well, I didn't really intern, I just filed papers for my godmom. But she was like, Are you sure you want to do this? Like, this is all the paperwork. She had all this paperwork on her desk. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. Oh <laughs> uh, man, it's so much reading. So much but, reading. I want to ask you a question because you're navigating these spaces. You're going, you're going into spaces that you almost want to put your mask up. You know what I mean? Like, let's put a mask so I can blend in and we, I could just be successful. And you're talking about this time period in your life where you started to take the mask down and be more Evelyn and show up as more Evelyn in these spaces. Like, what did that look like and how did it manifest itself? Like, how do you show up authentically in these spaces? I think. Well, first it started by me seeking out that image or support uh, mentors outside of my organization because in, in my organizations, they didn't look like me necessarily. Um, but I didn't necessarily understand my story. So I, I found, I tried to find some folks in there and were like, that may or may not have worked out, was deliberate about doing so in, out, in other organizations, like outside of those institutions. Um, I think on some measure, when you find those people, like I still remember finding um, a Latina employment lawyer, she was actually a partner when I came across her at like a conference just uh, on, on the panel. And Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, you know, her accent when she was talking, like her hands were all over the place when she was talking. And I was like, yes, I've never seen a partner do that. And I couldn't believe it. And I like gravitated towards this woman who has been instrumental in my career and is now someone I can call a friend. Um, so when mentors become friends, that's when you know like you done did something great. But in seeking out those folks and finding community even outside of your your current job or institution, if you can't find it there, it kind of give you gives you confidence to slowly come out of your shell because you start to see somebody do it. Um, and it still took years, but I remember if I'm honest, I feel like I was being my loud, cursing New Yorker self, um, probably as soon as I left a law firm, I felt more comfortable doing that. And, you know, I'm still who I am. So there was a, some measure of that. Like somebody's probably listening to this <laughs> and they worked for me at the law firm and like, I don't know, you was pretty loud. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, but if I noticed a difference, I'd say it was like after I left that space and I tried to just like use my voice, right? And be be myself in those spaces. I was still blowing out my hair. I was still doing all that stuff. And it wasn't until I think my second to last job, it was one of those days where I was already a mom. I was like, it, it, it's all consuming, right? You're like, I'm a wife, a mother, a daughter, um, my there's a lot of things pulling at me and I didn't have time, like I said, to sit for, you know, half a day or a full day at a salon to blow out my hair before a job interview. 
and I wore my hair curly to the job interview. I washed my hair, put up my styling gel, I scrunched it, did the whole thing. And I went to that job interview that I was not confident about, that I almost didn't like apply for. And when I got the job, I almost didn't take because I was so, um, you know, in my imposter feelings at the time. Fast and I did take it. So know that there's a line of the rainbow. Um, but I walked into that job interview with curly hair. And it feels like the smallest fucking thing. But when I tell you, although there's no way I'm getting this fucking I was so like, not because of the hair, which is like all of the things. Right. I just didn't all the I didn't think the stores had aligned. And, you know, to make matters worse, I couldn't even pull out my hair. And here I am, like just showing up. Um, so when I got that job, it was very validating. When I did well at that job, it was very validating. I showed up to work every day with my curly hair. It was like the first thing that I was like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. And when I became a leader and managing others, I took that kind of up a notch. And I really, it, it meant something to me to be able to, like we were talking about, create that space for others and have, you know, whatever your struggle is, because we don't all have the same story. And even if we come from different backgrounds, I wanted my team members to know that I was showing up authentically, that I was doing the best that I could, that like, you know, here's this, you know, uh, loud Dominican woman who was like kind of all over the place, but kind of a badass and kind of impressive and know that they could talk to me and close the door about anything that they were dealing with. And I would do my best to, you know, to serve them, to make their jobs e easier, to champion them in the rooms that they weren't in. Um, and that they could trust that I was going to do that. A lot of people that talk about doing that and don't actually do it, right? right? So they could trust me that I would do that. So that I think when I became a leader is when I really started to own what it meant to show up as myself. Um, in all my chaos, in all like my toddler, mom, Latina glory, um, and I still, you know, I, I try to do that now. And I've been fortunate enough to now have a leader who is amazing at being authentic, incredibly intentional, incredibly brilliant. Um, and I told her this the other day because I thought it was hilarious. We had a one-on-one. -on -one. She was like, yo, my bad. I got conditioner in my hair and it's coming. <laughs> it's like seeping down. As we're talking, oh she's like drying God. her neck. And I was like, yeah, she's got conditioner in her hair. <laughs> and when I thought oh. that woman felt so validating for me, I was just like, this is it. This is, this is it. It felt amazing. So I tried oh, to be girl. that for my team. I'm saying to feel seen is to feel validated, right? It's such no, a powerful that's... feeling. It's such a powerful feeling. I... I have well the good thing is that this is the closing so I have one last question for you this is into our cafecito I have my little cafecito here my cafecito and cheese segment um because you're talking about being a career strategist and how your your career has kind of like elevated and, and transformed and evolved and like you're doing what you're doing now because you want to help others advance like talk to us a little bit about what you do now and how kind of you're making space for more people Sure. Um, so this was kind of um, a labor of love. It was sitting on my heart for 
so many years and I didn't know how I could sort of have it come to fruition, what it would look like. Um, and it wasn't until, honestly, the pandemic and the first few months, I had some time after that, things went crazy, but um, I was able to sort of take some time and think through what I wanted to be able to put together and where I thought I could bring the most value to someone. I was able to finally see what I was already doing for so long, for free, for like friends and family, colleagues, mentors, mentees. Um, and it was this career strategy, right? I am an employment lawyer, my trade, um, I'm management side. So over my career, I have seen sort of the things that matter to management, how they think about certain things, how they consider some factors and not others in decision-making. And it's not necessarily all the stuff that you might think is getting considered, right? Um, and so to be fortunate enough to have been in those rooms, in those discussions, talking about things that I would not only never have had visibility into had I, you know, had I not been an employment lawyer, like even if I was a professional, I still wouldn't have heard all of this. Um, and I think that helps, that helps cement for me the need to package something so that folks could understand what the game was, right? Like this is mm -hmm. what it looks like. This is how you can be intentional. You can empower yourself. No matter, you know, the toxic environment you might be in, no matter the job that you didn't get, no matter how hard this job hunt might be, no matter how stuck you might feel in this current position or within this company and not feeling that, you know, valuable. Um, I wanted folks to know that they could empower themselves by learning and understanding the fucking rules of the game. And mm -hmm. so I call myself a career stra strategist. I don't, I, in certain spaces, I say career coach because that's what people really understand. But I don't, I don't think of myself so much as a coach because I'm not, you know, for me, a coach is like leading someone to water and, and letting them decide if they want to drink. I'm not really doing that. I mean, I mean, aquí te la agua. Si te la bebe, vas a hacer esto y esto y esto. I'm more about the full path of creating as many options as possible. And I'm going to tell mm -hmm. you the strategy behind it. I'm going to tell you why one option is better than the other. And I'm going to tell you to follow your heart, but I'm going to tell you that there are consequences to whatever decision that you're making. This is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is how you can see this playing out five steps ahead of that, right? That's how you plan for a career. You make your move now knowing that it's not going to be the end-all, be-all, but that you have positioned yourself to have more options down the line. Um, and so I created Ella Elevate. It is my baby. It is where after a full day of lawyering and a full evening of mothering I jump on <laughs> late night to like help my clients um through salary negotiations through job hunts through pivoting their from one career to another just totally changing industry functions um through honestly exiting bad situations and what that looks like and understanding sort of what leverage they do have leaving those situations um reviewing you know, their offer letters, making sure that they're thinking about all the ways the compensation package can, can like all the ways it can look and yeah. that they aren't leaving any money on the table. 
Um, so that's that's what I do. And it's all very client specific. It depends where you are. It depends on what you are, you know, trying to prioritize and what your next moves are going to be. And if you haven't figured out what those are, we figure out, you know, get some clarity around where you want to be and when you feel like you can thrive and what your sort of genius is. And it is, it re-energizes me. I tell you, I would, I would be dead running on fuels on 1030 call with a client. And by the end of that call, I'm like hyped. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I'm so yeah. excited for, you know, what's to come for them. I am their biggest champion. Mm. And I, I, I love that work. It's still, you know, it's not a side hustle because I feel like, I feel like it means more to me than even that. It's like something that I, I needed to bring out into the world. Um, but one of the things that I think makes me unique is that I'm not, I'm not looking to leave my job. I'm not looking to leave my career really anytime soon. So everything that I am teaching and walking my clients through, I'm doing and have to pivot from and have to iterate on mm -hmm. in real time, right? These are things that I'm using in my own career. This is how yeah. it looks. And I know what, you know, an HR or comp team is thinking today in 2022 not what they were thinking 20 years ago when I left corporate America, which some, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that is the story for some folks. Um, and there's value yeah. there, but this is what I bring. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a lot of tough love. And I, you know, my clients become my friends. It's, it's yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So far. I'm like, tough love is just in the nature of Latinidad. I feel like <laughs> my mom, when I describe her, I'm like, she's tough love, like tough love. I, I love that you do that. And I love that you, and you know, I want to give you some, some credit because you're, you're positioning your baby, your business as a part of your life and not like, oh, I'm working toward making it my whole entire life and leaving my corporate job. Like, yeah. I think it's, you don't find a lot of people who are both the career and entrepreneur along yeah. with all the other titles. So There's I a reason that for you, that. That's just exhausting. Girl. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I don't know how you do it. We're going to have to talk offline. Like, how do you do all the things? Goodness. If I want to be a mom, like, I know I want to be a mom, but like, how do you balance all of it? Yeah, that's a whole different topic. I know we're like over time and I want to be respectful, but I want to ask you one last question and we'll close this conversation with a little uh, brindis with our cafecito. <laughs> but I know that's off brand, but you already know we make the rules here yeah. i want to close with the virtual cheers and give you the space um to ask you what do you want to manifest for our latino community and what do you want to cheers to i love um i want to manifest self-empowerment and i want i want us to go off into the world seeking and creating environments where the things that we thought were our weaknesses can actually be the strengths that help us thrive. And we can feel and own all of that instead of, you know, feeling bad for why we show up the way that we show up. So, Oof, girl. What's up? <laughs> Salud. <laughs> Salud, girl. Thank you so much for being here. I, I literally, you made my whole day just by being on the show. So, Thank y'all so much for tuning in today and for all of those professionals of color who are tuning in. And if you need somebody to really provide some support and mentorship with you to you as you navigate this space, 
feel free to reach out to Evelyn. Connect with her on LinkedIn. It's linked in the show notes. And you can also follow her AI Elevates page. And I'll see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisman. For all Hello Latino updates, follow Hello Latino Podcast on IG. Y'all can also follow me on my personal IG at ojasmine with four A's. And find me on LinkedIn. Check out my website for anything else y'all need, olalisjasmine.com. Y con mucho amor, tu amiga Nureña. And one last thing, in case y'all are just finding something to do after this episode, I would love if y'all can leave some love and praise and affirmations in Apple as a review. This helps us reach more people and helps these stories just be more and more amplified. So all that love is appreciated. Thank you all for tuning in on the regular and keeping this podcast alive and well. Y'all are my inspiration. So abrazos again, tu amiga Nureña.